Cells through bodies and mind screams of the earth. Souls rotten from the orgasm drug. Flesh shuddering from the ovens. Prisoners of the earth come out. Storm the studio. Burnt metal smell of interplanetary war in the raw noon streets, swept by screaming glass blizzards of enemy flak. Shift lingvals, free doorways, cut word lines, photo falling, word falling, breakthrough in gray room. Towers, open fire. Citizen, you are listening to WCBN-FM in Ann Arbor. Guilt, blast, pound, stab, strap, kill. Pilot K-9, you are cut off. Back. Return to base immediately. Ride music beam back to base. Stay out of that time, Flack. All pilots, ride panpipes back to base. about Robert McNamara tonight, but uh, there's a commercial out there that says he's the most interesting man in the world. (laughs) (laughs) The Dos Equis uh, Uh, beer? It's it's something I was uh, seeing during the sporting uh, events recently during the playoff run of the Pistons. Don't remember the product, but uh, unlike Michael Jackson, who's not terribly interesting and the media seems to be fascinated in um, Robert Strange McNamara, <laughs> very interesting middle name there, uh, I think is a, is a really, really fascinating figure for a variety of reasons. Obviously a taunted, a haunted, you know, tormented man regarding his, uh, his role throughout history. And of course, uh, I think that The Fog of War, the Errol Morris documentary, that I believe won an Academy Award uh, several years ago, is one of the best documentaries, I think, ever. Um, And that very poignant moment when they flash onto the screen when McNamara was an assistant to Curtis LeMay, uh, spoofed, of course, in Dr. Strangelove. As Buck Turgidson. No, no, no. um, Jack D. Ripper. Yeah. Cigar-chomping man. Right. Clearly insane. Clearly insane, but uh, McNamara, um, ironically, later became his boss. But during World War II, he was uh, his assistant uh, during the uh, bombing of Japan. And because the movie includes both Vietnam and his role in the the firebombing of Japan, in which uh, cities were literally incinerated uh, because Japan was, uh, because it's earthquake-prone, had cities made of wood so that incendiary bombs would basically, you know, level everything. Fires would start. and that Cataclysmic was, devastation, really. Cataclysmic. And I think the most, one of the most powerful images I've ever seen in the history of movies were the equivalent of American cities that would flash onto the screen. And it was like San Antonio, Cleveland, Des Moines. They were just giving you the equivalent. And, of course, the firebombing of Tokyo on the... 9th of March, 1945, killed somewhere between 100 and 150,000 civilians in one night. In other words, it was even more devastating than Hiroshima. Very powerful stuff. And uh, McNamara, of course, was a, a numbers guy, a data cruncher, uh, sort of uh, 
consummate bureaucrat, a technocrat, um, Loyola. And it's interesting that he's the one that commissioned the Pentagon Papers, as uh, doubts in his mind grew about the, the Vietnam War. And we're learning more and more about uh, his role in everything, but uh, the, the characterization that he was the architect of the Vietnam War, I think, is a little mistaken. We've been in Afghanistan now since 1979. Um, in fact, later this month will actually mark the 30th year in which America's been involved in Afghanistan in terms of destabilization, supporting guerrilla troops, and involved in this continuing civil war that's now, of course, spreading into Pakistan uh, with no end in sight. A lot of hoopla over the weekend about the offensive that's beginning to take care in the Helmand uh, province where the poppies supposedly are located. Um, yeah, that's the biggest uh, U.S. Marine operation since the uh, invasion of Fallujah in Iraq in 2004. Yeah. And I think that this will have uh, mixed uh, results, and uh, probably the Pentagon will have a numbers cruncher that will claim that we lost uh, 15 to 20 Marines and we killed 190, quote, insurgents and members of the Taliban. And we'll get that statistical report back here in the United States that uh, it was a success and that we're winning. And, of course, McNamara was involved in this. McNamara was the uh, architect, more technically speaking, of Operation Rolling Thunder, which was the, uh, the bombing of, uh, of Vietnam, uh, something that he was an expert at. If I remember correctly, that was the uh, escalation of the bombing. Uh, where uh, Am I mistaken in that assumption? That well, it, star it started in, in late 65, but, uh, you know, the mysteries of the Vietnam War, I mean, it went through so many phases oh. that to call him the architect of it, I think, is a little mistaken. Um, first American to die in Vietnam, by the way, was in 1945, and we were there for 30 years. Yeah accomplished nothing. Well, when you mentioned that McNamara began to have doubts and so commissioned the Pentagon Papers, I think it's probably important to clarify for listeners that these aren't the sort of doubts that you or I might have about, is this uh, an ethically, you know, no. good deal? He's looking at it as a viable, like, is it winnable? He's looking at the statistics. At, at the statistics and the strategy. It, it, it's not really a question in McNamara's mind, is this ethically wrong to do? Um, because clearly the path was pursued. Uh, but is it viable? Is it winnable? Is it uh, tactically sound? Yeah, and the Johnsons indicate now, the Johnson tapes, I should say, that uh, we now know, of course, that Kennedy and Johnson, before Nixon, taped uh, conversations in the White House, though I think the motives for taping were a little different. We're beginning to learn more and more about the Nixon tapes even this summer, as they're beginning to release more information. But I think that this fascinating role that McNamara played in the Cuban Missile Crisis, mm. um, you know, he, uh, of course, was brought in by John F. Kennedy because he was a manager. He was considered a empirical expert, a statistics man, um, a manager. And the striking resemblance between McNamara and Rumsfeld as uh, the Iraq War <laughs> rolled on 
it was always ironic to me. You know, they were both from business. They mm. were both CEOs, um, numbers experts, technocrats, great business managers, and oblivious to doubt. But McNamara, I think the difference with McNamara is that there's there's a fable from the Bible about the the wife of one of the the characters who looked back. Oh yeah, the wife of Lot who looks back as they depart uh, Sodom. Sodom and turns into salt. pillar of salt. Pillar correct. of salt. Yeah, I think there's something about McNamara. He's one of the few high-ranking people that's ever looked back. Um, and he did turn to a pillar of salt in a way. He, mm. You could tell he was a broken man in that movie, The Fog of War, which I highly recommend for a lot of reasons. Uh, McNamara, I think, even lived in Ann Arbor for a, a good number of years. Um, I think after he retired as head of the World Bank, another interesting role uh, that he had. He was kicked upstairs. Um, and he began in these Johnson tapes. It's it's quite evident because uh, I sort of read a lot of these uh, sorts of books over the many years that he began having doubts, expressing these doubts to Johnson. But Johnson essentially didn't want to hear it. Johnson, of course, was himself tormented uh, inside, but his position was 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 rather um, stranger. He basically said, well, I can't be the first American president to lose a war, so I'm going to continue on. Now, there's evidence that he began himself uh, having doubts by 1968 and, of course, announced his intention not to run for re-election in March of uh, 68 after Walter Cronkite had come back. And on national television told the uh, American public that the war was unwinnable. He didn't question the basic premises of the war. But uh, I think that the, the whole history of America, and, you know, as we begin to, uh, shall we say, examine ourselves through a word that we learn in school called heuristics, you know, the act of discovering inner visions and facts and, you know, recognizing truth and whatnot, there's a difference between delusions and lies. In other words, the bomber gap was a lie. But delusions are this idea that America has a stake in in Indochina, for instance. You know, the domino theory is a delusion that turned into a lie. And, of course, the Iraq War is even more troubling because the mistakes were made again. And McNamara, to his credit, knew that these were mistakes he admitted that they were wrong, as he put it, terribly wrong. Um, but once again, there's something holding him back. It's that bureaucrat in him that won't publicly come out. He's a loyalist. He won't come out and publicly question what's going on. Uh, the way the say, system that creates and fosters the careers of such men. Yeah. And th th this is one of the troubling aspects. In other words, Brent Scowcroft, for instance openly wrote a letter expressing doubt of any war in Iraq well before any congressional resolutions were passed. McNamara didn't really investigate the Gulf of Tonkin resolution. This, of course, were these were lies mm. in which the delusion that we had something big at stake in Vietnam. 
You know, and it's fascinating that today in uh, in uh, Russia, Obama was meeting uh, with the uh, president over there, and they came up to a sort of memorandum of understanding, reducing nuclear warheads by a third. And this is all very good, uh, and it's interesting that, the ironically, uh, yesterday the New York Times had a front-page story about Obama's youthful... Um, interest in nuclear war, in which he wrote an article in a small publication called The Sundial, uh, entitled Breaking the War Mentality. Um, this is a good first step. Obama's going in the right direction. Um, more needs to be done. But America, in examining its financial troubles, needs to uh, look itself in the mirror, and it needs to discover why it spent $15 trillion on the Cold War and why it spent almost $9 trillion on nuclear weapons. Uh, very troubling. And uh, while the Michael Jackson freak show uh, continues and cable television apparently is going to devote all the coverage tomorrow to this... this uh, memorial service. Memorial service in, in Los Angeles that in itself is going to turn into a freak show, I'm sure, with uh, people paying uh, ridiculous prices to get in from scalpers outside the Staples Center and blah, blah, blah. Um, I think that McNamara is, is, a, is a far more important death than Michael Jackson. Um, and I've always been intrigued by why was Richard Nixon so concerned about the Pentagon Papers? McNamara had doubts, but what was Nixon and Eisenhower's role in the escalation of the war in Vietnam in Indochina? And as I, uh, I think there's a famous uh, concept from Paradise Lost, the uh, Milton epic, about starting in the midst of things. This is where McNamara comes in. He starts in the midst of things, and things, of course, go wrong, terribly wrong, uh, with the strategy, the thinking, the delusions, and the continuing lies to the public and the self-lies. Um, and it's this best and brightest, you know, the famous book that David Halberstam wrote that, uh, you know, it's very interesting throughout the, the history of the Cold War, the delusional thinking of all sorts of people. Um, Herman Kahn is another uh, classic example, a man who came up with the uh, concept of surviving nuclear war and indeed... Uh, believing that Americans could, quote, hide in backyard shelters, deep caverns, and fortified mine shafts. There's your mine shaft gap. We know uh, where that comes from. <laughs> Mandrake. Of course, the women uh, would have to be chosen for extreme uh, beauty, no? <clears throat> Each man would be expected to do prodigious amounts of breeding, yes? Yes, yes. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, you know, uh, the Cold War was really not ever that hard to figure out. I mean, as a child growing up here in Michigan, I, you know, the, at the about the age of 13 or 14, you know, reading a lot about uh, politics and interested in, you know, relatively speaking for a 13-year-old, um, it was pretty clear to me on the surface that the Cold War was a fraud, that there was, was no way that the Soviet Union was uh, going to initiate a nuclear war uh, with the highly industrialized West. And so, uh, you know, it doesn't take a lot of uh, expert training 
to see through uh, a con game, a scam. And that's essentially really all the Cold War was, was a scam, a mm -hmm. fraud, uh, a game of, uh, you know, six-card Monty or whatever fraudulent sort of a shell game you want to think of, a rigged game. And we see it again now in what... You know, the war in Iraq, what comedian uh, and former yippie activist Paul Krasner uh, commented on the most overt, covert war in history, uh, where there was no pretense anymore. There were just flat out lies. And uh, as you importantly distinguish between lies and delusions, uh, the delusions... Uh, are all over the place in, in the, the build-up to Vietnam and the legacy of the Cold War. Uh, but there's also a lot of lies. And, and in the Iraq War, really nothing but lies. Yeah. And, of course, McNamara, unfortunately, was, was a guy who duped himself into believing that he could manage the war. And I love this uh, paragraph I'm going to quote from a review uh, that appeared in the New York Times uh, book uh, review section from the 21st of September of last year, which Jacob Heilbrunn uh, review, reviews a uh, a book about the Rand Corporation, uh, Soldiers of Reason, the Rand Corporation and the Rise of, of the American Empire, in which there's an interesting photograph of Herman Kahn, the, the guy I was just mocking uh, recently. Uh, it's interesting that at one point he for the fortified mine shafts, uh, constructed a uh, a breakdown of food in which uh, grade D food would be thus restricted to people over 50 or 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 40, and uh, E food would be for animals. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, writing this, and I love this uh, little. It's got a, some of the. I mean, they thought it through that far. They thought it through that far. It says Rand, which Pravda, which of course is the Soviet propaganda organ, called the Academy of Science and Death, was the brainchild of the Army Air Force. It was established in 1946 at the start of the post-war era, when American social scientists believed economics could solve political and strategic problems by reducing them to their essence <laughs> through mathematical constructs based on game theory. Rand analysts tended to forget, however, that they were discussing the actions of human beings. Such hubris would eventually help land Americans in Vietnam, where the Viet Cong refused to behave according to the models of warfare and nation-building that the Rand scholars had constructed and that the Defense Secretary Robert McNamara had employed as he pointed to his charts and rattled off statistics about body counts and the efficiency of strategic bombing. Still, some Rand analysts soured on the war. Daniel Ellsberg leaked the Pentagon Papers and resigned soon thereafter. That encapsulates a lot of significant... Cold War history there, um, and of course, you have to love the word essence. <laughs> purity. And it's purity, yeah. Well, purity you know, of there's, essence. There's an element of that, that that does have some, you know, validity. There, there was a way to defeat Soviet communism through economic means, and it, it would have been entirely doable without the Cold War. Because ultimately, what led to the collapse of that system was its failure to deliver goods and services to its people. Right. And so you had the situation where by the time Gorbachev is premier and he's 
finally, you know, 20, 30 years too late, uh, turning to reform, uh, you have uh, people in the Soviet Union who simply want to have good lives for their children, good schools, decent health care, um, refrigerators, you know, consumer products that uh, people enjoy and take for granted in the West. It was the inability of that system to deliver those goods and services to the people that led to its crumbling from within. And, of course, the irony of ironies is that we spent our way out of being the most prosperous nation in human history uh, to the situation we're in now. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, oh, wow, gee, healthcare is a crisis, but we can't really figure it out because we've got this banking crisis and we've got a collapse of our manufacturing uh base and uh, so we've been a victim of the Cold War too despite all the ballyhoo of the Reagan years that we won the Cold War Reagan's a great man he won the Cold War um, wow where did we win it right and of, of course that's my rhetorical response to that sort of delusional thinking where did we win it and indeed you know the Vietnam War eventually led you know to the gold crisis of the late 60s in which the French and uh, German governments in particular were demanding gold uh, in exchange for dollar bills, the dollar crisis. This led to the inflation. Um, and it went on and on. And it's interesting that McNamara and his, you know, they've, they've had some interesting uh, interviews today. Uh, the Fresh Air uh, interview with Terry Gross is interesting. You can probably get a podcast of that. Yeah. Talking about the other crises that he had to deal with, the Cuban, the Bay of Pigs, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Berlin Crisis of 61, uh, the Arab-Israeli. <laughs> 73? Uh, 67 war. Oh, 67 war, and he, then he again the oil crisis in 73. Of course, the 73 war that culminated. And it's all. it's important to remember that there's a difference between the Johnson Vietnam policies and the Nixon Vietnam policies, which in many ways were even more insidious. Mm -hmm. You know, the escalation of the bombing, um, the invasion of Cambodia, secret and illegal. Um, but needless to say, the secret bombing of Southeast Asia was, was already underway under McNamara. Um, napalm was being used in 1962 out of Thailand, uh, in which Laos was being, the, the country Laos was being... Uh, <laughs> de-loused of jungle foliage and yeah, there's actually, there was all sorts of uh, shenanigans going on this is you know as i always like to point out it's not just vietnam it's indochina right and there were three countries grievously affected by the strategic bombing of robert mcnamara in which he pointed to his charts and rattled off the statistics about body counts and the efficiency well, that film uh, from a year or so ago, uh, Herzog's uh, film Rescue Dawn, about uh, pilots uh, shot down uh, on secret bombing runs uh, in over those countries. And, of course, the, their capture as prisoner was also doomed to be a secret because we weren't officially at war in those places. And so these guys shot down. Uh, sat in the middle of jungles and prison camps, completely forgotten. So you see these people today who fly their black you know, uh, MIA flags. Um, let's not hold the government of Vietnam and these Southeast Asian countries responsible for uh, a lot of these missing guys. They were sent into uh, places that we weren't supposed to be. Well, it wasn't even until about 68 or 69 that even, that even Americans knew what was going on right. about the secret bombing of Laos. This had been going on for... <laughs> literally six to seven years, uh, in total secrecy, quote-unquote, 
because this is, you know, part of the world that's, uh, you know, to, to use a, a sort of a simplistic word, uh, word primitive. And there, there were not modern communications. There were not uh, journalists on the ground covering this. Um, the journalists were elsewhere um, covering other things. But it's quite clear that some of the prominent German journalists who were working for the New York Times, like Neil Sheehan and David Halberstam, began having profound doubts about what was being told to the American public by the military and the Defense Department, i.e. McNamara, and President Johnson, you know, the the so-called credibility gap. Mm. Um, You know, Vietnam, of course, the metaphor is, you know, this was the beginning of the end of this sort of... (laughs) nostalgic Ozzie and Harriet lifestyle that the conservatives like to romanticize about uh, as something that the liberals um, brought to America. Um, liberal, of course, is is one of those interesting words that's frequently used to describe Kennedy-Johnson administration's Cold War liberals, but it, it, it was fundamentally the fear that they had about anti-communism, mm-hmm. you know, being accused or Johnson believing, well, I can't be the first American president to, quote, lose a war. So I'm going to keep the madness going. Uh, the Vietnam War cost America a trillion dollars. We're still paying for it. Go to the VA hospitals and check it out if you don't believe me. Um, I don't know the precise number of people that served in Vietnam, but it was in the you know, something like eight to ten million soldiers. Because of the draft, yep. and it was a tragic blunder. And of course, uh, the Iraq War uh, makes uh, makes Vietnam in in many ways is worse because we we should have learned the lessons. Mm-hmm. And at least McNamara, as somebody that was uh, who turned to the pillar of salt and had looked back, knew that this was a mistake and and was actually trying to prevent this from happening again. And also to McNamara's credit, you know, he was willing to go on symposiums and and do some sort of post-mortem analysis of the Cuban Missile Crisis, for instance, um, that I've always been fascinated with and how that little episode in American history uh, may have been one of the reasons that John F. Kennedy was uh, assassinated from within the government. He was the one that didn't want to start (laughs) the uh, Curtis LeMay... Mandrake, <laughs> I will not give you the code. It's is really astonishing. And they've just shown that film again on TCM, of course, and we talk about it often yeah, down here. Yeah. But it's truly astonishing just how real that farcical, mm-hmm. satiric comic film is. I mean, it really is, uh, in many ways, uh, one of the most accurate films about the U.S. military mindset of that time period. Scary. (laughs) Scary. He'll see the big board. (laughs) Scary, funny. And speaking of the big board, uh, we can kind of segue away from uh, McNamara there to this uh, upgraded mission in Afghanistan. There's some really interesting language being used for this, uh, what's called Operation Kanjar. Uh, It involves the uh, 4,000... Installation of 4,000 new uh, U.S. Marines. Of course, there's already 10,000 forces total in uh, Afghanistan, U.S. forces. Um, In Helmand alone, excuse me, 68,000 U.S. forces in Afghanistan. That's in addition to 
a little over 8,000 uh, British soldiers and 23,000 other NATO forces, all in Afghanistan. Uh, but what's interesting about this most recent development is some of the language that, again, the military, in a, in a way, trying to recognize failed policies of the past and to improve uh, the viability of the current operation. Uh, Brigadier General Lawrence Nicholson uh, says in this article by Rajiv Chandrakasan, uh, we're doing, quote, we're doing this very differently. Uh, we're going to be with the people. We're not going to drive to work. We're going to walk to work. Which, by the way, is one of the fundamental concepts of the Petraeus counterinsurgency theory that was employed in Iraq that partially explains the quote-unquote success of the surge. But this is now being used in Afghanistan as a concept because this, you know, Petraeus has been promoted and uh, he's in control of CENTCOM. Right. Yeah. So these, these Marines are have been instructed to build and live in small outposts among the population. And uh, to skip a little bit ahead in this article here, it says uh, further, the Marines have also been vexed by a lack of Afghan security forces and a near total absence of additional U.S. civilian reconstruction personnel. To compensate in the interim, the Marines are deploying what officers say is the largest ever military civilian affairs contingent attached to a combat brigade. About 50 Marines, mostly reservists, with experience in local government, business management, and law enforcement. It's like, hello, Afghanistan, you're being invaded by a seminar, and you've, you've all signed up for summer classes. That's right. Uh, to go back to the article. The one PowerPoint presentation isn't <laughs> going to work, alas, since most of them are illiterate. <laughs> and it's hard to get wireless uh, in uh, the Helmand uh, region. Uh, once basic governance structures are restored, keep your fingers crossed, civilian reconstruction personnel plan to focus on economic development uh, programs, including helping Afghan Afghans grow legal crops. Well, one critique I'd offer, as I've consistently done for years now, is why not just buy up all of their opium and you know prevent the Taliban from getting that money and then either we destroy it or turn it into medicine for use in uh, any number of... Uh, places around the world where people need uh, real medicines. Yeah, anyway, one of their biggest customers just passed away, <laughs> Michael. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, one last quote here from the article. This is from General Nicholson again. Quote, we're not going to measure your success by the number of times your ammunition is resupplied. Our success in this environment will be very much predicated on restraint. General Nicholson told a group of officers from the 2nd Battalion, 8th Marines, uh, quote, you're going to drink lots of tea, you're going to eat lots of goat. Get to know the people. That's the reason why we're here. So it's like a summer camp for everyone, except some will learn the, the lessons of governance and some will eat goat and drink tea and, and go try not to get blown up by the... Snipers and improvised roadside devices. Goat gravy goes well on those mashed potatoes, by the way. Well, by the way, you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Yazoo City Calling will be coming up shortly, so do stay tuned. But, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to monitor the, the so-called escalation of this province. I mean, this is an enormous region, so, I mean, the idea that 4,000 troops are going to make that big of a difference, particularly when... 
sort of any real analysis of the situation would suggest that uh, they're 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 sort of in the wrong end of the 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 war. <laughs> yeah, the war has moved eastward and in, in you know into Pakistan. Indeed, and of course the Taliban, like the Viet Cong, um, don't wear uniforms. They meld in with the people, and you can already see that this so-called offensive is going to produce minimal results. Um, Obama, unfortunately.